The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Believe it or not, I used to actually play rugby union about, started about 19, 20 years ago. It's been a while now. But uh, I started off in the under-19s and then when I was too old for under-19s, I joined third grade. Now, third grade in the Illawarra district, which is where I was playing, third grade, well, half of the team is full of grumpy old men who have a grudge against life and they want to take it out against their opposition. And the other half is full of skinny, young, naive guys like myself who just don't know what we're doing, but we're there to have fun. And fun we did have. I really enjoyed my time of playing rugby union. The first season we lost every single game, but we turned up every single week because we were having fun. And I played for a couple of years and there was a point in time where uh, the coach called me aside and he said, Ross, I want you to be the captain of the team. And, and I was like, but I, I, I don't even know all the rules. Like I just, I just run after the ball and tackle people and, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And I wasn't the most experienced. I wasn't the most skilled I didn't know what I was doing, but there was one quality, there was one attribute that he saw in me that he felt qualified me to be the captain of the team. And that was that I was was able to keep calm under pressure. The rest of my teammates, they would flip off and get angry at the ref, whereas I was a little bit more level-headed and I was able to talk to the referee. And so the coach called me up to be the captain. Did you know that you're called as well? God has called you. And this morning I'm going to talk about God's calling over your life and how you are supposed to respond, how you change according to that calling. Because in my situation as captain, I had to pick up on the rules pretty quickly and learn what was going on. Now, I don't confess I still know all the rules, but I'm getting there. And much to Amanda's delight when we watch it, I can explain most of them. But God has called you. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, it says this, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He called us into a fellowship with his Son. You know, I believe that this calling is for all of us. Whether you've responded to it or not, this calling is for you. God's heart is that everybody would be saved. 2 Peter 1.10 says this, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Make every effort. To confirm your calling? Does this seem a little bit backward to you? I don't know about you, but if if I was captain of my team and I was able to choose my team, I'm going to choose the people who have, well, I know that they can play. I know that they can hit the ball, that they can score the try, that they can dunk the ball. I'm looking for the people who have proven themselves already. I'm looking for people who have shown that they can practice. But God's a bit different. God's saying, I'm calling you first and then prove yourself and then prove the calling. And that seems just so backward to me, but that's how God is, that's what God is like. He calls us first and then asks us to make an effort to prove that calling. So that's what I want to explore a bit today. And if you've got your Bibles, I've got my new color Bible. Thank you, Amanda. Well, they gave men's Bibles to the women at colour for the husbands and boyfriends and that, so that's me. So if you've got your Bible, get your Bible out, and we're going to turn to 2 Peter, and we're going to read about this calling and how we respond to it.
Okay, reading from verse uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us every great, precious, great and precious promise, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, stay with me here. This passage can seem a little bit confusing and it might seem complicated, but I actually want to read to you a paraphrase from the message and hopefully that will clear things up for us this morning. The message says this, Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given, keyword given to us, getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. You see, God wants you and I to live a life that pleases him, to to be godly, to be people who reflect his nature, to be people who are like Jesus. Now, I'm not a parent myself, but I can imagine for those of you who are parents, one thing that particularly brings you delight is if your child is really good at something that you're good at. So if you excel in sports, I'm sure you'd love it if your children also excelled in sports or academia and and to be an academic in your footsteps or maybe follow your career or or maybe have a similar sense of humour. As a parent, we would love to see our children follow in our footsteps, have the great qualities and attributes or the positive qualities and attributes that we have. And the same is true of God. Since God only has positive qualities, he wants us to imitate him and have the same qualities, to be godly. In this passage, we read that Peter, Peter says that God has given us two gifts. There's two gifts that he's given us. The first is this, that we can know the one who invited us to God. And that is, of course, Jesus. That we could know Jesus. Jesus is a gift. Knowing Jesus is a gift. The second gift is that we have terrific promises. And these promises are the Word of God. They're found in the Word of God. And so if we're going to confirm our calling, we need to understand how to apply these two gifts into our lives to confirm it. And we're going to look at the first gift now. The first gift is knowing Jesus. It's through knowing Jesus that we become empowered, that we are empowered to become godly. How is that? How does that happen? Well, Jesus is the best example of godliness. Helen's a close second. But Jesus is the best example of godliness to us. And as we know Jesus more deeply, we learn what it is to be godly, to be the kind of person who God is calling us to be. Now, God has already called us to be on his team. I've already said this. But now he's asking us to confirm that fact by the way we live. And so what does it mean to know Jesus? Is it as simple as just knowing things about him, knowing what the Bible says about him? No. What we know and believe about Jesus is actually insufficient. The Christian faith is not merely doctrine to be accepted or beliefs to be held onto. The Christian faith is about a real, a living, a vibrant and alive relationship with our Saviour Jesus, brimming with grace and mercy and hope and love and purpose. That's what knowing Jesus is about. Knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus isn't just knowing about him. 
See, even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But it's knowing Jesus on an intimate, personal relationship. And as we get to know Jesus on that intimate, personal relationship level, that's when we become like, like him. By spending time with Jesus and in his word is when we become like him. So that's the first gift, knowing Jesus. The second gift is this, the word of God, the promises in God's word. Peter knew the power of the promises found in God's words and that they can radically transform our lives. In 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. James 1.22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. When we live and apply the promises of God in our own lives, we're living the kind of life that God wants us to live. And as we receive both of these gifts, that's when we are able to live that godly life. And what I want to do is continue through this passage because now we're going to learn some practical things about what this means. And again, if you've got your Bibles there, turn back to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 5. It says this, For this very reason, make every effort... This is again that word effort. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have eight qualities here that help us to live the godly life, the life that pleases God, the kind of life that confirms our calling. And we're going to go through each of these eight qualities very quickly. The first is faith. And faith is the conviction and strong assurance of what you believe, even though you can't just see it just yet. Faith is the fundamental ingredient of who we are as Christians. But you know what? It's actually possible for us to live in autopilot to just cruise along doing the Christian life and not actually believe God for anything, not actually believe that my relationship with God can go deeper, not believe that I can be healed or I can be set free from this thing that it's holding me back or my family can be restored. Can I challenge you? When was the last time that you were audacious enough to believe God for a miracle? This is the year of miracles. There is an atmosphere of miracles that we're trying to develop within the life of our church. And you know what? If you get onto that flow and believe God for the audacious, you know what? That's when we've, in the corporate faith together, that's when I believe we're going to see miracles come to pass. Amen? Is your faith active? Is it growing? We need to remember that it's God who gives us the power to grow in each quality. But we actually have to apply them. We have to put them into faith. And Jesus, of course, is the greatest example of faith. Jesus, who said that faith as small as a mustard seed could move a mountain. Jesus, who fed the 4,000 and fed the 5,000 and saw eyes open and and ears open and, and the lame walking, even rising from the dead. Faith like that. Jesus even said that we will do even more than he ever did. But have we got the faith for it? I stir in my spirit even as I talk. You know, this is something I want to aspire to. 
I want to confirm this within my life. So that's the first one, faith. The second one, the second quality is goodness. And some translations use the word moral, uh, use the words moral character or virtue. And your goodness is a reflection of who you are, regardless of whether people are watching you or not. Good character does the right thing all the time. And if you've answered the call into the kingdom of God, you know what? You will be a different person from when you were before saved to who you are now. And that change might be a rapid change for some people. For some people, it's a slow change. My point is, is that God will change you if you allow him to. Now, believe it or not, I used to be quite an abrupt person. And uh, when I was uh, leading the worship team at my old church, there was uh, somebody in my team who I had to uh, just take aside and um, just discipline them on or correct them on something. And I went away and, and I did that. And, and the person received it quite well. And that was all good. But my leader at the time came to me a day or two later and said, Ross, I want to let you know that I'm really, I'm really proud of the way that you handled that situation. I was really scared that you were going to be too abrupt with this person. I was really scared that you were going to offend this person and they were going to get upset and it was just going to turn into a big mess. But God has changed you. There's a gentleness of spirit that's come upon you. And, you know, that's just one example of how God changes us. So our character becomes more like that of Christ. And you might be able to think of something that God has done in you, but can you think of something that you've done recently? I know I certainly can, where God is causing me, uh, teaching me more patience or, or understanding to be more like Christ. We should remember that God is always at work, and if we let him, our lives will be changed. Philippians 1, 6 says this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, that was the second one, goodness. The third one is knowledge. And knowledge in this context is strongly linked to knowledge in the Word of God. Jesus knew the Word of God so incredibly well. And when we know God's Word, then applying it comes naturally also. You know, our problem is, our problem is that we leak. We all leak. And we can read the Word of God... And like we know it, but we don't know it. We leak it from here. It's not always in our heart. We need to continually fill our spirits, our hearts with God's word. And I don't know about you, but have you ever read a passage in the Bible? And you might have read it 10 times, 20 times, 50 times. And then you read it for a hundredth time and something that you've never, ever seen before just pops out at you. Have you ever had that before? You know, that's the living word of God. God uses his word to speak to you where you're at right there and then. And it might be a message that you didn't need the first time you read it. You probably wouldn't even understand it the first time that you read it. But God uses his living and his powerful word to speak to us where we're at. And for that reason, we need to continually be in his word, continually standing on his promises, continually declaring his promises. The opposite of knowledge is ignorance. And ignorance most certainly will not draw you closer to God. If anything, it'll cause you to drift, and we're going to get to that later. So the fourth quality is self-control. This one's especially for Drew, who needs self-control for chocolate. <laughs> Out of all these characteristics, I think, think that this is the one that most people really need God's divine power to come into effect. God help me with self-control. Our human flesh screams out for its own desires whenever a temptation crosses our path. 
but we must believe that God has made a way for us to overcome. 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 13 says this, And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure. I like that verse. Yeah? God's not going to put me in a position that I can't bear. How much strength does that give my spirit to have the resolve to to have self-control? A godly life, a life that confirms your calling into God's kingdom is a life of self-control. The next one is perseverance. And I kind of like to think that perseverance is the opposite. In the same way that self-control is required for us to stop doing something, perseverance is required when we want to give up on things that God has called us into and to continue to move on. And the Christian walk is not a sprint. The Christian walk is a marathon. And we're doing it for the long haul. And it takes perseverance to take that next step rather than try and overcome the mountain in one giant leap. It's just one more step. More than that, and here's the best thing, we know that God is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says that he was always with us, even until the end of the age. And maybe, maybe you're a bit like my story. I was long-term single for more than 15 years without a girlfriend as well for most of that time. And for me, just that whole, God, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy or what's wrong with me and all these sorts of things. And then you start to doubt whether God even actually cares or even, even God is even there. But you know what? God is there. God, is, God will never leave us or forsake us. And to persevere through that time and, hey, I've got my wife. Isn't she amazing? Jesus himself, he even wanted to give up. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going, God, I don't want to do this, but, but not my will, your, your will be done. He persevered to the very end. And knowing that God is with you when you endure trials and hardships will help you to stay the course. It will help you to confirm your calling. So that one's number five, perseverance. Number six is godliness. And godliness is a spirit of reverence and respect to God in all matters. It understands that he is holy and that we should be holy as well. 1 Peter 1.16 says this, For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, godliness is not just an outward compliance of who we are. It's actually an inward purity of heart. And Jesus really challenged this paradigm with the Pharisees, didn't he? Because the Pharisees, they believed that godliness was all about the way that you wash your hands and and which utensils you use for eating and and on which days of the week you do certain things. To them, godliness was all about the the facade, the outside. But Jesus goes, no, it's it's what's in the heart. It's, It's what's the motivation within you. That's what defines godliness. That's what defines holiness. And so we need to... Always allow God to just check our spirits. What's my inward motivation in this response? Number seven is mutual affection or brotherly kindness. And I think this one can be really measly misunderstood or or maybe perhaps be a little bit shallow. See, if self-control is the hardest, then mutual affection is the one that we least feel like doing. 
And the reality is, is that we're all different. We have differences of opinion and we're not always going to agree. There's going to be misunderstandings and so forth. But Peter is telling us to go deep. To go deep. Beyond just liking them. Mutual affection isn't just like, I like that person. That's a start. But mutual affection is to care deeply for others. To truly embrace them. Even though you don't agree on everything. Even though you have differences of opinion. And it would be easy for for us to make mutual affection another facade. Where on the outside it looks like I'm being the, the nice person. Or doing the right thing. It's easy to appear that you love your brother or sister. But it's, again, it's a hard thing. Do you actually, actually care for them? Romans 12.10 says this, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. I was thinking about this this week, and it's only because Malcolm Fraser passed away in the last week or so. But I remember hearing when Gough Whitlam died, he did an interview, and he talked about how they were political enemies in their day. But when they retired, they actually found that there was common ground There were issues in the public arena that they both agreed on and they actually partnered up and lobbied together for certain issues. And at the end of their lives, Malcolm Fraser is able to look down at camera and say, you know what, Gough Whitlam was one of my, was a a warm friend of mine. We had a genuine friendship. And I think to myself that if political enemies in a secular context can do that, how much more should we be able to do that? We must first like other Christians and deeply care for them before even loving them. And loving is the eighth quality. Love is, the, is perhaps the most reflective of who God is. 1 John 4, 8 says this, Whoever does not know God, uh, sorry, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If our calling is to be evident in our lives, then loving the way that Jesus loved should be foremost 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. The truth is, is that no matter how much we work on all these other qualities and other other things that... uh, where we do things for other people and bless other people. But if we don't do them with love, if they're not underpinned by love, then it really amounts to nothing. And so we have these eight qualities, faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. And I want to make two really important points about all of these points, about all of these qualities together. The first point is this, is that developing these qualities should be a natural response to truly being saved by grace. These things come as a response to being saved. We do not, let me say it again, we do not do these things so that we will receive grace. Grace is not conditional on any of this. Grace is unconditional. And so we need to remember that we should never confuse the order. Grace is what saves us and then we change. So that's my first point there. The second point is this. It's actually not possible to stay still. It's not possible to stay still. I read a story this week about a woman called Glenda Lennon. And it was uh, back in 1970 that she and her husband were on their boat off the coast of Florida in the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, she decided to go snorkeling. 
And so she puts her gear on and she goes snorkeling for about 20 minutes or so. And uh, as she, she enjoys her time snorkeling and then she decides to swim back to the boat. And she realizes quite quickly that she's in an eight-knot current. She's not able to swim back to the boat. And so she calls out to her husband, her husband Robert, and he was quite a good swimmer. And he jumps into the water to go in and save her. And he gets to her and he's trying to bring her back to the boat. But he realizes, even though he's a really good swimmer, he's not getting anywhere. He can't, he can't bring her back to the boat. So they made a decision. She was going to float in the water and he was going to swim back to the boat and bring the boat around to pick her up, which was a great idea in theory, except for the fact that it took him six hours, over six hours to swim back to the boat. That's how strong the current was. And meanwhile, Glenda is floating further and further and further out to sea. Can you imagine how traumatic that would be for both of them? Sure enough, Robert finally gets back to the boat and he's searching for his wife and by now it's nightfall and it's dark and he can't see and she can see the light in the distance and he is nowhere near her. And they're searching all night and there's other people getting involved in the search and it wasn't until 10 a.m. the next day that they found Glenda alive in the water after 20 hours. The truth is, is if that we just stay where we are, we're going to go with the current of the world. We can't fight the current of the world, certainly not in our own flesh, in our own strength. But if we are okay with just being where we're at, if we're okay with not growing in our faith, if we're okay with not knowing Jesus more or getting into his word more, we're just going to be taken by the current of this world. Christians who just float never stay in the same place. And so now I want to finish with the final few verses on this matter. And we'll go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we'll read from verse 9 this time. We've already read verse 10, but we'll read it again. It says this, But whoever does not have them, that is the eight qualities, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's making a strong point. If you're saved, don't stay the same. If you're saved, press into Jesus. If you're saved, press into his word. Change. Let God change you. Don't be complacent with where you're at. Look to Jesus. Read the word. Know the word. Speak the word. Let God's word direct your path. And there's a bit of a challenge there, and it's a pretty serious warning, isn't it? That if you don't do these things, if you don't do these things of adding into your, uh, adding into your life the faith, the goodness, the self-control, the perseverance, the godliness, the mutual affection and the love. If you don't add these things into your life, you, there's a serious warning that you could forget your salvation. You could forget that you were even saved. That's, that's what the power of the current of the world does. It just causes us to drift if we're not careful. As you consistently do these things, you'll find that you won't stumble. And the best one of all, you'll receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God. Is that good news? So we have a challenge before us today. God calls us 
And then he asks us to confirm his calling. And like I said, I think that's a bit backwards, but it's up to us. But do you think it would be possible for us to do this if God didn't ask us to do it? Because God says it, you know what? It's possible. It is possible to live that kind of life that God is calling us into. We have Jesus, his son. We have the word of God. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe there's something that's stirring within you and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I've been a little bit lax. I've allowed myself to be a little bit dry. I'm just floating with the current of this world. And I want to challenge you today. Read God's word. Stand on God's word. Maybe, I don't know, some practical things that just come to mind, but I've shared this before about before I read social media, I have a little widget on my phone with the verse of the day. And it's a habit that I'm now in. I'll read the verse of the day before opening up Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Or maybe you just need a new Bible, a new translation, a different translation. Maybe in your in yourself, you're just finding yourself really unmotivated. And the version that you've been reading is, you've just found it really hard. You know what? That's okay. Find, it, find another version. And if you need help with that, we'd love to help you get another version of the Bible. But let's not just be complacent. Let's add into our lives the things by knowing Jesus, by His Word. How about we stand this morning? Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 